We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Do you ever find yourself asking that question, what, what am I doing? It's really a good question to ask every so often. It's always good for you to, to, to stop and to evaluate your life to see where you are at a given moment and to see where if, if you're on track to accomplish what it is that you are here to accomplish. I think that life is too fleeting for me to imagine just wasting it on frivolous things that have no eternal value. But, but we do that all the time, including myself. There's times that I, I waste the most precious commodity that we have, which is time, on things that don't matter. We all do. Uh, we worry about things. We, we spend time worrying about things that are never even going to happen. Or we, maybe we uh, lose valuable time getting involved in, in what may be the latest social issue. You say, well, pastor, shouldn't we get involved in social issues? To some extent, but I think a lot of times that we get involved to too much of an extent to the point that it becomes a distraction and hinders us from doing what we were put on the planet to do. We ought to keep the first things first, which are relationship with the Lord and getting everybody else to there. And we get sidetracked. It's, it's a way that the enemy does that. We can be sidetracked by, by doing good things rather than doing the right things. You say, well, I thought the good things were the right things. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you can get involved in some type of, a, of an issue and spend hours arguing with somebody or marching or, or making signs or whatever that might be only to realize that in a couple of months it wasn't as big a deal as everybody was making it. And your last couple of months are gone. We waste countless hours, I'm not going to get any amens right here, staring at screens. How much life do we miss by sitting and looking? It is truly a, a phenomenon. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I was talking about this the other day, and I'm not, I'm not against... I'm not against technology. I enjoy it. I think it's very beneficial, very necessary, and, and can be utilized for great things in the kingdom of God. But I, but, but I do think that a lot of times that it becomes such a distraction that people lose hours and hours. And I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when cell phones became uh, a big deal. Do y'all? Did any of y'all remember the old, the first cell phones, big old bag phones? phone was like this and had a cord 
You remember what you used to think when you'd be driving down the road and you'd see somebody on one of those cell phones? Remember what you used to think? Snob. They think there's something special. They think there's some big deal because they got a cell phone. They're probably not even talking to anybody. They're just driving around, holding up the air, making it look like they're doing something. And now, if you don't, I mean, it's amazing to see somebody driving a car not looking at a cell phone, which is very frightening. I think I would rather drive on the road with drunks than texters. Because I remember dodging drunks before we texted. You could dodge a drunk and outrun them. Because they were just going to swerve around and finally run off in a ditch. I mean, you could, you could figure out a way to get away from a drunk. But a texter, it's 90 mile an hour. And, how many hours are we losing by doing things that are probably not that profitable? And this is time that you can't get back. Can't get any time back. Why do we do those things and why do we keep doing them? I believe that the reason that we waste the kind of time that we waste is because we've lost track of why we're here. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What am I doing? What, what am I doing? And, and especially, what am I doing that matters? What am I doing that counts? I want you to go back to a time when you felt the closest to God. I want you to stop for a minute and just think about that. Think about a time that you felt the closest to God, where, where that, man, you were so on fire for him and and, and, and you were just excited about what you were doing for him and, and, and your thoughts were always on his things and his ways and his word. And if you can't ever remember that time, then you've been wasting a lot of time. And if it's been a while since that was the case for your life, then however much time has gone by since you lost that fire has been wasted time. I didn't think you'd shout. But I did expect at least a nod. I'm just kidding. What have you started doing since you felt that closeness to the Lord? And the chances are whatever it is that you've started doing since then is probably what sidetracked you. A hobby. A new relationship, a job, pastor, we, those are things about life that we have, I mean, we have to be involved in those things. We have to be excited about it. Are you saying that we shouldn't care and, and give time to those things that are, no, I'm, I'm saying you should, but nothing should ever take the place or become as important as your time with the Lord. And you, you should never sacrifice your relationship with him for anyone or anything else. Somebody say amen. So if you are not as close to God as you used to be, if you don't feel the fire that you used to feel, then I want you to go back and look at what you've been doing since you did. 
And there's a real good possibility that whatever you have started doing from there to now is what has sidetracked you. David, at the end of his life, began to take his past into account. And he writes about it in Psalms 39. Look at this in Psalm 39, verse 4. Here's David as an older man. He's taking stock of his life. And he's asking himself the question, what am I doing? Because I'm about to wind this up. So what am I doing? Teach me, O Lord, about the end of my life. Teach me about the number of days I have left so that I may know how temporary my life is. Indeed, you have made the length of my days only a few inches. My lifespan is nothing compared to yours. Certainly, everyone alive is like a whisper in the wind. And each person who walks around is like a shadow. And they're busy for no reason. And they accumulate riches without knowing who will get them. And now, Lord... What am I waiting for? What am I doing? My hope is in you. A wise person would do well to walk through this process while they still have some time to do something about it. You, you may have 5, 10, 50, in some cases, some young, young folks, you may live another 80 years. You have a chance right now to evaluate where you are and what you're doing to make sure that you're on track to doing what you were put on this planet to do. But what you don't want to do is wake up at the end of it and live with, with whatever remaining time you have left to live with regret of woulda, coulda, shoulda. I don't want to live with woulda, coulda, shoulda. I want to make every day count. I don't want to wish any of the days away, even the bad ones. I don't want them to hurry because once the minute is gone, it's gone. There's too many good things going on in my life, even when really bad things are happening at the same time, so that I never wish away moments, even though there may be really bad things happening. I don't want to wish that time away because there's good things going on then too that I'm not going to get back. What am I doing? How am I making it count? You're only going to find peace and contentment and true success if you complete the work that God put you on this planet to do. If you get sidetracked with anything else, it's not going to matter. You could become the most wealthy, most popular person on the planet. But if you spent your entire life trying to become that and it wasn't God's will for you, you'll be that person and regret it. Pastor, I'd never regret being wealthy. A lot of wealthy people, there's nothing wrong with wealth, but a lot of wealthy people regret the time they spent to get that way in light of what they lost to do it. Don't waste your time doing anything other than what is God's perfect will for your life. Any moment or any day that is spent not in the pursuit of that is you're going to look back on and regret. So that means this, it means you go where he says go, you do what he says do, you say what he says say, you live where he says live, you be who he says be, and you never allow the cares or the distractions of this life to keep you from it. You have to ask yourself, 
What am I doing? And then you have to honestly ask God that same question. And then you have to be willing to be obedient to what he says. And when he speaks back to you in regard to this question, here's what that means for some of you. You ready for this? It means that some of you are about to end a bad relationship that you don't have any business being in. It means that some of you are about to change jobs. It means that some of you might be moving. It, it, it can mean a lot of things. It means you might be giving up a hobby that's stealing a lot of your time from your calling. It might mean that you're going to make some kind of a significant life change. But I would say to you, better to do that now than to waste more time before you figure it out. Do it now and you'll find true happiness and success. Because what you've got right now is not that. It's just something that's going to cause you to regret later on. So David, in this in the verses that we read, he, he lists three conclusions that he reached in this assessment of his life. Are you ready for this? And, and, and then after he reached the, these conclusions, then he also uh, reaches an assessment of that. His, what he has determined as a result of that. Write these down. We're going to try to answer the questions of what am I doing? What am I doing? David said, what am I doing? Number one, he answers that. He's evaluating his life and he begins to answer that. You ready? He writes, write this down. He says, number one, look back to the verse, verse five and six. He says, my time is short. And the reference that he uses to illustrate that in his culture was one of the, was, was, was well known, but it was um, one of the smallest natural measures that could be used in their language and in their culture. And in the translation I read it, it actually uses the word inches. In others it uses a different word, but basically he boils it down like this between verses 5 and 6. He says, I have determined that my life, the length of my life is like a whisper in the wind that disappears like a shadow. That's not very long. Is it? Interview someone that's 100 years old, and they'll tell you, man, it just seems like I was 18 yesterday. Yesterday. David's nearing the end. He says, he said, I'm looking at my life. It's like, it's like man, where did, where did the time go? I'm like a whisper in the wind that disappears like a shadow. Have you ever stood around and watched a shadow disappear? Doesn't take very long depending on where the sun is. When the sun comes out from behind the cloud, a shadow sometimes that was there is immediately gone. This life is going to go by really, really fast. Guys, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I want to encourage you to make good choices because you don't want to waste your life on senseless, unimportant things. Keep your priorities right. He went on, number two, he said, the second thing that I've learned is I'm busy for no reason. Church, what a timely word for our generation. 
Oh, my lands. If you don't get anything else, if you could, if you could hone in on that, focus in on that for a minute. Verse 6, I'm busy for no reason. We grow weary from, from the bustling and the, and the busyness. And we're running here, we're running there, and we're stressed out, and we're upset, and we're angry. And we're overwhelmed by doing things that most of the time, if we didn't even do them, nobody would even notice or care. You ever seen people just stressed out over nothing? Like, just wringing their hands. What's wrong? I got to get the trash out. The trash comes tomorrow. It's Tuesday. Trash comes on Wednesday. Settle down, fella. Back in the day, we'd take it out in the backyard and set it on fire. It's going to be okay. It's trash. Don't let it ruin your life. You know, we just, and we live in such a busy culture and a generation that we freak out over the nothingest things. Things that don't matter. Some of you parents aren't going to amen me right now, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I've been a parent. I know what it's like to have little kids and teenage kids and grown-up kids. Today's, the pressure is on parents that if you don't involve your children in at least 75 activities apiece, you are abusing your child. You mean she's not in dance, gymnastics, soccer, basketball, and cheerleading at the same time? You're a terrible parent. And then, with just that, I'm going to get less popular here. With just that slight glimmer that my son or daughter might be the one out of 27 million that's going to become a professional athlete. I'm going to skip church every Sunday to show them how important it is that they have the right relationship with baseball. Somebody say amen. Shout whenever you're ready. We live with that, we live with the pressure of, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to, I, I just have to. Why are you so stressed out? Because I have to do this. We're having meltdowns over. I have to clean the house. I have to mow the lawn. I have to go to this and I have to go to that. And, and I have to be here and I don't even have one night home this week, which is crazy. But that's what we've allowed society to relegate us to. Let me say to you the only thing you have to do. And I'm not trying to tell you as a parent, scold you to tell you what to do. I'm telling you that the, pri the correct priority, this is the only thing that I see as necessary in this evaluation that you have to do. The only thing you have to do is get to know God and spend time with Him and lead your family to Him and put Him first. Let me make a statement. You may not write it down, but I hope you do because you really need to hear this. If your life is keeping you out of church, away from serving, too broke to be generous, then you're too busy for no reason. Don't want me to say that one again, huh? If your life is keeping you out of church, too broke to be generous and give, 
too busy to serve and work, then you're busy for no reason. You say, I'm not busy for no reason. I take offense to that. I'm busy. I'm doing the right thing. You may be doing good things, but you're not doing the right thing. The right thing is, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things shall be added unto you. Mm. What am I doing? He said, he assessed his life. He said, I found a third thing. Oh, this was tough, guys. You ready? I'm gathering up stuff to leave to who knows. That's a smart one, isn't it? And he said, well, that's why I'm different from him. I'm a lot smarter than David. Really? I'm going to tell you, those are some pretty serious genes. David, David was the father of the wisest man that ever lived. And up until that time, he was that guy. He's a pretty smart fella, and I don't think we're going to get too far ahead of David. And he makes this, this conclusion. He's a very, very wealthy man at this point in his life. And he says, I'm accumulating riches, and I don't even know who's going to end up with it. How frustrating is that? How frustrating is it to work your whole life so that you can live a good life and retire and leave money for your children when the truth of that is that none of that may happen. Well, Pastor, you're saying that we're not smart for trying to save a lot of money. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm not satisfied with what I got laying back. I, you know, I, I, I want to live in faith, but I, I, I want to say I want to live in faith. But the truth of the matter is, I don't really want to live in faith when I get old. I'd rather have money. I'm just being straight up with you. It seemed to me like it'd be a lot less stressful to have money than it would be to live in faith. But really, that's just the opposite. Because if I'm in control of my money, I can't control it. I don't know what's going to happen at the bank. I don't know what the economy's going to do. But I do know when I sit on my back porch in that rocking chair and I watch those robins in my backyard, they always find a worm. They get up every day. They don't have no savings account. They don't have no debit card. They don't have no cell phone. And somehow they're surviving. Hopping around from a nest. It's neat to watch them. You know, they are a little bit greedy. They'll land in the yard and they'll eat a worm and look around until they see one of their buddies over there. And they're like, hmm, maybe he's got a better meat. So they jump up and they fly over him. Have you ever watched them? They'll fly over to him, and he'll kind of do his wings and move a little bit, and then both of them kind of hop around there, and then they'll peck a minute, and then he'll realize, well, this really wasn't any better than where I was, so he'll fly to another spot. God doesn't throw worms into their nest. Now, that really would be a good way to live. If you could be a bird, just sit in the nest, and every day God would throw worms from the ground miraculously up into the nest, that would be cool. He doesn't do that. But he does promise, hey, if you'll get out of the nest, there's going to be a buffet down here on the ground of all different kinds of things. But you'll, you'll go, you got to go get it, but it'll be there. If we could live our lives the way that birds do, we'd be a lot happier. I'm waking up. I don't know, I don't know how God's going to provide today, but he did yesterday, and I know he's going to. He always has. I, I, I'm still here. 54 years into living a life of faith, I'm still here. I'm going to tell you something, folks. 
it's a whole lot more fun to play with house money than it is to play with your own. Some of you know what I'm talking about because we don't live that far from Siloam Springs. You've been over there, not just at the buffet. Come on now, don't shout. Leave the hankies in your pocket right now. That's not a Pentecostal moment. I'm going to tell you something. When I realize that none of this is mine, but that everything is just on loan to me to make my life blessed and abundant to whatever extent that might be. When I realize that, that I won't breathe unless he gives me another breath. When I realize that everything that he entrusts to me and loans to me, if he says give it away, if I just give it away, that is a whole lot more fun than trying to hang on to it and living with the guilt and the conviction of trying to steal God's stuff. And there's going to be a lot of people at the end of their life are going to look around and be like, man, you know, I've been stealing God's tithes and offerings. Oh, I'm preaching again. All my life, and I don't have anything to show for it. My money's gone just like my days are gone. Wonder what would have happened if you'd have been generous with the things that God gave you. And when he said give to this or give to that or help there or go there or do this or do that. Had you done that, you'd look back and say, well, my days are up. But man, I sure have had a great time spending God's money. Somebody say amen. I love spending God's money. It makes it a whole lot easier for me to write a check when the Lord says, I want you to give, I want you to give $100 this month to reach. I'm not taking up tithes and offering. I'm just telling you something. He said, I want you to give $100 this month to reach. I'm like, ah, fine with me, God. There you go. I love what reach is doing. There you go, Lord. I'll do it next month too. I think it's awesome. We, we're going to give to missions. Yeah, I love that. It's above my, I'm not going to try to sit down and figure out my tithe down to the last penny. Here it is. I'm going to round it off. There's a tithe, and here's some missions money too, Lord, and here's some for this, and here's some. You say, well, Pastor... You know, you must be rich. I am rich. I don't know how much I've got. Because I don't have it in an account anywhere. It's all sitting up there in heaven someplace. And whenever I write a check and God says you need to write a check, I write a check. And he supplies it because it was his anyway. It's a lot more fun to play with house money than it is to try to control my own. David says, here I am nearing the end of my life, and I realize I've been accumulating all this stuff. we got all this turmoil and strife in my household. i got Absalom trying to kill me, my own son. I don't know which one of these kids is going to end up with this stuff. They're going to fight about it anyway. It's going to end up in probate court. I don't know what's going to go. I had good intentions. Are you hearing me? I had good intentions. I got the will. I got the trust. I, I, I've, I've done everything that I can do to see to it, but I don't really know what's going to happen to it when I'm gone. I hope my wife gets it. I hope my kids get it. But I don't know how much of it the government's going to take. I don't know who's going to claim this or who's going to claim that. I really don't know what's going to happen. I'll tell you, here's something even more sobering. You could amass millions of dollars in 100 years. You're gone. Don't nobody remember you were even here. And your million dollars... It's spread out all over the place in the hands of people you never even liked. And you stressed a whole lifetime so that you could have that going into your coffin. It's all, it's all about control. It's all about being able to submit 
to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's not just about money, but we talk about money because that one seems to hurt the most. God is saying this, this generous thing is not just about money, it's about your life. It's about what I said a minute ago, being who I tell you to be, going where I tell you to go, doing what I tell you to do, saying what I tell you to say. The lordship of Jesus is that I'm not my own, but I'm bought with a price. And everything that I have, he loans to me because he blesses me. But I'm just here to do what he wants me to do. And when he takes me home, I'll be fine. I'll just rest even more then. Whatever I have isn't mine. If I died tomorrow, somebody probably, you know, if I died tomorrow, next weekend, Deb probably having a yard sale. One of you would be wearing this shirt next week. Be walking next week. Jerry Meadows be down here wearing my shirt. It'd be big on him, I'll guarantee you. He'd be hanging down like this. Somebody say, I seen that. that. That shirt looks familiar to me. Who wore that shirt? Nobody can remember. I don't know. Nice shirt. Seem like I've seen that someplace before. But guys, I'm telling you the truth. David said, man, my days are like a whisper that disappears like a shadow. And everything that I've worked so hard to accumulate, somebody's going to end up with probably somebody I don't even like. What am I doing? People who finally give up control Live freer lives. We can't control our health. We can't control our wealth. We can't control our days. We can't control anybody else's. And yet we stress out trying to do these things. And, and, and yes, I do think that we need to prayerfully make good decisions. That, that we're stewards of our bodies and we're stewards of our finances and all these things. But I'm going to tell you something. Trusting in the promises of God and the, trusting in the promises of His Word is a whole lot less stressful than trying to control Him and everyone and everything else. We can't really control anything. One grandma tried, though. She went to the doctor. He said, what can I do for you today, Miss Smith? She said, I want you to give me some birth control pills. He said, you're 75 years old. You're 75 years old. What do you need with birth control pills? She said, I sleep better at night with them. He looked at me and he said, now, how in the world do you sleep better at night with birth control pills? She said, I put them in my granddaughter's orange juice and then I sleep better at night. <laughs> you know you want to laugh. It's the truth. <laughs> that reminds me of another one. I'm on a roll. <laughs> so these three guys are standing around. They're talking about this Father's Day, so I can tell it from this angle. They're talking about how they like to control their wives. I know if it's Mother's Day, we'd tell it the other way. Because the truth of the matter is, now you're saying Amen. Three guys standing around, Jeff, they're talking about how they control their wives. Two of them are just bragging and bragging. I tell her what to do, and she gets it done, mister. One of them's just standing there, he's being real quiet. This goes on for five minutes or so, and finally they look at their buddy, and they say, why aren't you saying anything? You, she got you henpecked? Do you, not, do you not control your wife? And he stood there for a minute, and he said, well, yeah. He said, just this week. He said, I had her crawling to me on my hands and knees. They said, how did you do that? What did she say? Well, she said, come out from under that bed and fight like a man. Hmm. 
You're not controlling anything, no matter how hard you try. You're just not in control. It's terrible. It's so difficult, so hard to be able to just relinquish and submit. Because here's the word. We, we say it this way sometimes, but I don't even think it's accurate. We say we need to give up control. You know why that's an inaccurate statement? Because you never had it. You never had it. You're not giving up something you never had. You've been trying to get a hold of something your whole life. You've been con- trying to control the circumstances of yours and everybody else's life. You've been trying to control the money. You've been trying to control their health. You've been trying to make everybody do right, eat right, live right. You turn your head for one minute. You get everybody in check and turn your head for one minute. And one of these guys who has the ability to make his own choice makes a dumb one. And now you've got all this fixing to do again. You can't control nothing. It was never yours to control. So when you submit to the Lordship of Jesus, a weight comes off of your shoulders. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. I'm not telling you that you quit praying and you quit, you know, quit caring. But I'm saying that you submit and relinquish your desire to control the outcome of situations. And instead you say, what am I doing? I tell you what I'm going to do. This is what David said. He went through this whole list. He's like, I tell you what I'm going to do. You ready for this? I'm going to put my hope in God. Read it. Read it for yourself. I'm tired of fighting this battle, he says. I'm tired of trying to run this thing. Why would I put myself through this any longer? This is ludicrous. This is is ridiculous. This is just plain stupid. I don't want to waste another moment of the time that I have left. Fearing and doubting and stressing. I'm just going to hope in God. So that prayer looks like this. It's, it's, It's God, I choose to rely on you instead of me. I choose to trust you because you're a lot more trustworthy than I am. I choose to expect from you. I choose to be happy in you. I choose to be led by you. I choose to be successful because of you. I choose to believe in you. I choose to put my hope in you. I choose to bank everything on you, Lord. That's my choice. That's what I'm doing. I'm giving it all over to you. I'm going to tell you something. When you, when you pray that prayer and you mean it, your time and your treasure and your talents are going to look a lot different. This is a harsh statement. I don't mean to be unkind, but you got to hear it. Because some of you about to wake up and been asleep this whole time when you hear this statement. Your, when you pray the prayer that I just said, your days of sitting through church thinking about other things And wishing that you were somewhere else, feeling nothing, doing nothing, giving nothing, are about to change. And once you get this in check, your whole life is about to be free. Your life is about to be full. You're about to experience a peace like you never knew. You've got to ask yourself that question. Every so often, we've got to ask ourselves that question. What am I doing? 
what am I doing? Why am I doing? Why am I putting myself through this? And then you have to be honest enough with God to experience a breakthrough. Because God has one for you. I mean, I know when we get to a certain age, our hair starts turning gray. It just does. That's for you lucky guys that have hair. If I let mine grow out, I'd have a lot all the way around here. And a little bit up here. And it'd all be gray. Almost. There's a little bit of dark in there. I, I can't really control what time is going to do to this body. But I'll tell you this. A lot of people have gray hair way before they were supposed to naturally. That they wouldn't have had to have had they ever been able to stop and ask themselves a simple question. What am I doing? Why in the world do I keep doing this to myself? Why don't I just choose trust in Jesus I'm going to put my hope in God and my life is going to be so much more simple and streamlined it's nice guys to be able to get up and put your shoes on go get in your vehicle and go to town say Lord I'm yours today what you want to do and then to just do what he says. Instead of arguing with him all day. Or not asking him at all. Or listening when he says. It's so much easier to just get up and say, okay, Lord, I'm not my own of all the pies. I'm, I'm here for what you want me to do today. All right, we're going to the office. We're going to work. Okay, well, Lord, help me in any meeting I'm in. Anybody I counsel, help me have wisdom and, and give me the right words to say. And you know what he does? He does. At the end of the day, you're like, Wow. You know, I was visiting with so-and-so, and I told him this, and I don't even know where that came from. I'm certainly not that smart. Boy, it's a whole lot more fun to operate that way than it is to try to operate out of my strength, my mind, my resources, my intellect. See, God gives you all those things. He gives you all those things. But then he puts his anointing on that. And then when you're obedient to him, he uses those things to do not just cool things or powerful things, but miraculous things. If you're not where you want to be with the Lord, if you're not seeing things happen like that, then today's the day for you to ask yourself a question. What am I doing? Because I don't want to waste any more time. Lord, I'm thankful for your word today. I'm thankful, God, that it does in its sharpness cut between the bone and the marrow. How intentional. How surgically precise is your word. And you said it always accomplishes what you send it forth to do. Here we are today, God, throwing up our hands and surrender, saying, let your word be true in me today God what I've been doing I don't like I don't like the results I've been getting I don't want to keep getting them Lord what am I doing I'm just going to put my hope in you I'm going to put my trust in you I'm going to put myself in your hands 
and leave myself there. Lord, that goes for my health, my strength, my mind, my family, my money, my job, my future. I would rather have you controlling those things and making good decisions about them than I would to trust myself with those things that are so monumental. Every person in this room would say, wow, this word is for me today. This word is for me today. I need to commit this. I got to get this in my spirit. I got to get this in my heart. I don't want you to allow proud to pride to keep you from receiving something from God today, but I believe God wants to do a breakthrough in your life. If this is your word today, nobody's looking. If it's your word today, stand to your feet, throw up both of your hands. That's a sign of surrender. That's an individual that says, I don't have any pride. I'm willing to acknowledge this word's for me. I don't care what anybody thinks. I need God to know. I need God to see. This is my word. This is my word. I want to be changed by this word. I want to be freed by this word. I'm tired of fighting this by myself. I want to turn loose of this. I want to quit trying to hang on to this. I, I receive this word today. If that's your word, stand to your feet very quickly. Put up both of your hands in the air. Come on now. Come on now. Be honest with yourself. You tired of trying to control it? You keep trying to control it someday you're going to be old and gray and you're going to look back with regret you're going to say what have i been doing here's the opportunity right now for you just to say to the lord i'm going to turn this loose lord i'm praying right now let the the anointing of the holy ghost begin to fall in this room on every one of these people standing with their hands lifted those hands are lifted lord it's not a mystical magical thing those hands are lifted to you simply to show you that they're in surrender to you they're giving up their mind, their heart. They're, they're, they're showing that surrender to you. They're showing that humility. They're coming before you and they're lifting their hands and they're saying, God, I surrender to you. I relinquish all of this to you. I know that I need your help. I, I'm sorry that I've been trying to run this thing. God, I'm asking you today, by the Holy Ghost, run that full check in my spirit. God, walk through my entire soul. Show me those places where that I need to turn loose. Show me those places where I need to relinquish the control that I thought I've been trying to hold on to. Help me today, I pray, God. Help me today, I pray. Lord, I pray that you'd set them free. Your anointing, let it, let it fall upon them right now, just like rain coming down from the sky. I pray that they will sense your presence, that there will be a freedom that will come to them, that they'll sense chains and, and bonds breaking in their life, that they'll be set free, that they'll receive a rest and a peace and a newness in their spirit. They'll receive a fresh new excitement and zeal for their life, uh, an anticipation about tomorrow where that they're going to get up and, and try this whole new thing. They're going to get up and let you do what you do. God, I pray right now that when the enemy comes tomorrow and, and tries to get them to revert to old ways, that the Holy Ghost will remind them that they're not their own, but they're bought with a price and they have surrendered themselves to the will and the mind and the heart of Christ. Lord, that they will walk in that fullness of the Holy Ghost tomorrow and every day this week that you'll begin to show them, God, show them the, the benefit, the, the benefit and the success that comes from a life that is wholly surrendered in every area to you. So that we wind up our days with no woulda, coulda, shoulda, 
and no regrets. That's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for these people. I love them. They're my family. They're my friends. I want them to be blessed. Set us free today, I pray in Jesus' name. I thank you for it, Lord. You stand there and pray as long as you want. I want to pray a special prayer today over two groups of people. Number one, I would like for all of the dads in this room to stand to their feet. I want to pray. I want to pray a special prayer. I know it's Father's Day. You say, here you go again, Pastor. It's a special day, and you didn't preach about fathers. I figured I got you bad enough back there during that, li- that family life series. I figured you had enough back then. There wasn't no need in hitting you again. Amen? Plus, I just don't like to, I don't like to try to tell the Holy Ghost what we should talk about on man-made holidays. <laughs> I'd just rather let him tell me what we needed to hear as a church. So I apologize if you didn't get to hear that Father's Day message you were hoping for. Every dad in the room standing, I bless you, fellas. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of churches that are filled with women and children and a couple of staff pastors. I am thrilled to be a part of a church, and it's always been this way as long as I can remember, that was led by men. That there were men who were willing to stand and be the spiritual leaders of their home. And that on days that it was either too nice that they could have gone to the lake or days that it was raining and they could have, it was too rainy to go outside, they still rounded up the family and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Come on, kids, we're going to church. I've said it before, but I never could understand a father or a mother that will make their kids brush their teeth but not go to church. As if those teeth are going to matter in a thousand years. That soul will. I'm thankful that you're making a decision, that you're standing by that decision, that you're leading your family and that you're being strong, you're being bold, you're confident in that. I'm glad that you're, that you're providing a godly example in the home. I'm glad that, the, that you let your wife and your kids hear you pray. I'm thankful that you talk about the things of the Lord and you talk about the Word of God. I'm glad that you live a life of example to your wife and your children. You're giving your kids the greatest gift you could ever give them by living for the Lord and keeping your house in line by loving their mama and keeping your family together, somebody say amen, by having them in the Lord's house so that they can learn the will, the way, and the word of God. I'm not, I'm not preaching against folks that have gone through divorce. Please don't misunderstand that. A lot, of, a lot of folks have. But I'm simply saying that you have an opportunity right now. You're making a difference in the life of the people that look up to you the most. And I'm proud of you, and I'm grateful for you, and I'm thankful that you're doing it. And I want to pray a prayer over you. If everybody would... If you would, that you're seated, extend your hand toward one of these fellows that are standing right now. Let's pray, oh God. Supernatural power be in these men. Let their prayers be powerful. Let the anointing that is on their life break the yoke of sin off of the people around them. Let them walk in an anointing and a power and a strength that is undeniable. Let them be used in the gifts 
and let them exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Let them pray prayers, lay hands on the sick, let them see miracles. Let them be the ministers that you call them to be in their homes and at their places of business. May your blessings and your promises not only be with them, but like Psalm 23 said, let the goodness and the mercy of God not just follow them all their days, but chase them into the point of persecution. So that someday as old men we can lay our hands on the heads of our children and our grandchildren and bless them unashamedly. Give us as men a boldness and yet a brokenness. A confidence. But a gentleness. Help us to lead as we are led. I thank you for it in Jesus' name.